Father, here we are, wanting to hear you speak to us through your word, and we, we know that you speak through your word and that your spirit works to open our eyes and open our hearts and work within us to understand, and so we pray that you would do that now, and that any distractions that we have on our minds and hearts or even in this building, Lord, would be removed so that we can hear you speak clearly to us. So we ask you to do that, and we ask you to speak. Lord, we ask that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, we've got a long, this is our last chapter that we're going to look at in Daniel. It's a pretty long passage, but I just didn't want to cut any of it out. It's it's the unit, and so we're just going to read all of Daniel chapter 9 again, and then we'll go through it. So Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord, given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obeys his commands. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, and all countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we and our kings, our princes, and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiven, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, We have sinned. We have done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name, 
We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and making my request to the Lord, my God, for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding as soon as you began to pray an answer was given which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end. And desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he'll, be, he'll put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So, like I mentioned last week, I'm not skipping around through passages in Daniel because I don't want to deal with the tough ones because the reality is if I was going to skip a passage in Daniel, this would be the one. Um, so let me just, here's some of the, what the commentators say that really feel like they're setting you up for success. Um, although Daniel's prayer is really easy to understand, God's response of the 70 weeks is a whole nother matter. Another guy at Montgomery says it with a little more flair. The history of the exegesis of the 70 weeks is the dismal swamp of Old Testament criticism, right? And then another guy named Baldwin says, this is the most difficult text in the book. Um, So if I was going to skip one, this would be it. But we're not because it it covers kind of what else is happening in the book of Daniel. But, But it's important to realize that this passage, not the prayer part, but those last few verses of the 77s, which is kind of the point of the passage, the prayers leading up to it, and that's the center, they're really, really difficult to interpret and to understand. There's a lot of weird stuff going on with the Hebrew. There's a lot of imagery. There's a lot of things going on, and so they're hard, hard to interpret. And yet, I think it's important to say that does not mean we just ignore them and think they're not important. So we can have a temptation to say these are really hard to interpret, they're really hard to understand, so we're going to put them off to the side and just ignore them, where we can't do that because the Bible says all of Scripture is breathed out by God and useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training in righteousness so that the people of God would be equipped for every good work. So this is part of that. So we should work on that. And yet you can fall off on the other side of the ditch where some people just become really obsessed 
with vague, difficult passages, and they find them to be like a puzzle that you, and they just be, they get so obsessed with trying to solve the puzzle that they love the puzzle more than they love the God who's communicating it. And so, when you read through certain commentators, you get a sense that whoa, you're taking this way too far. And so, we don't want to fall off on either side of the ditch. We really want to work hard to figure out how to understand this passage, and yet we don't want to become overly obsessed with this passage because it's vague and. Difficult, And when we interpret it, we want to interpret it in light of what the rest of Scripture has to say. Before I dive in, I want to do one more thing. I was listening. I don't know if you know who Alistair Begg is. I really like him and his Scottish accent in particular. But um, he was preaching on this passage, and he told his congregation, he said, it's really hard for me to preach on this passage because I find myself disagreeing with a lot of my friends on this and disagreeing with a lot of people that I respect. And disagreeing with myself quite often, and which is true. I think every time I come to this passage and study it, I go, well, maybe I think this is what it's going. Maybe I mean this is what's happening. And so you kind of find yourself wrestling and flipping back and forth. And so he told his congregation, I have the right to change my mind on this. <laughs> so if I preach on this in a couple of years, I might say something different. And, and we, just, we need to come to a passage like this with humility, realizing that it does mean something. We can't just make it mean whatever we want to make it mean, but it's difficult, and so we're going to wrestle through it and do our best to understand it. And so it's important to kind of put all this in, the, in our time frame that we've been going through Daniel. It happens in the first year of the Medes and the Persians. So this is the country that came in and defeated Babylon, right? So they've been in Babylon in exile. Remember, we talked about King Belshazzar, and, and he was desecrating the, the, with the temple with the cups, and then the Medes and the Persians came and killed him and conquered Babylon, right? So in the first year after that is when Daniel gets this prayer, or this happens, and, and Daniel's reading his Bible, or reading, I mean, it's really a scroll, right? He's pulling out... One of those scrolls, maybe one of the ones that was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls in Qumran. I, just a side, a lot of what Don talked about and showed pictures of really relates very strongly to my message. So we didn't plan that, it just happened. God was planning that. But there's a lot of connections here. And so Daniel says, I understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. And so Daniel's, you know, Babylon's just been destroyed and Daniel's pulled out the scroll of Jeremiah and he's reading through it and he comes to a few passages that perk his ears up. Like Jeremiah 25, he reads, The whole country will become a desolate waste and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. And so he, this is me, he puts the scroll down and goes, How long have we been here? It's almost 70 it's almost, you know, it's like a senior in high school getting close to the last few days. Like, hey, this is about to happen. And he kind of gets, starts to get excited. He, he starts, keeps reading the scroll. And a few verses later, he reads, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you 
into exile. And can you imagine the excitement running through his veins at that moment? I mean, they've been in exile for almost 70 years. They've been, they've been persecuted and, and beat down, and, and he's watched people, his people disobey God and become unfaithful and turn around. And, and now he says, man, 70 years is coming. And God says, after 70 years, he's going to take us out of exile and he's going to bring us back to the promised land. But he's, he reads in here, it's not just going to happen. God says, at that time, my people will turn to me. And they'll pray to me. They'll call out to me. They'll, they'll confess their sins and I'll hear them and I'll forgive them and I'll bring them back to the land. And so what does Daniel do? He gets down on his knees and starts praying. He says, so I, I read that and I turned to the Lord God and I pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. He just got down on his knees and said, God, you said we'll call out to you and you'll hear us. I'm going to call out to you. Now hear my prayer. And this is probably one of my favorite prayers in all of Scripture because you could just feel him crying out. And, and, and I tell people, if you're struggling in your prayer life ever, read through this prayer, make it your own, and pray it back to God as a way just to help you pray because it's really, really powerful. And we don't have time to go through the whole prayer. And so an easy way to kind of break this prayer up is based on an acronym that I was taught as a child, and maybe many of you were taught as a child on how to pray. ACTS, A-C-T-S. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, right? I, I learned that from a kid. When you come to God in prayer, just you can think about ways you can adore God, confess your sins, thank God, and then supplication is just presenting requests to Him. And, and they didn't just make that up because they thought it was nifty. It's actually as you go through prayers... In the Bible, they follow that pattern quite often. Even Daniel's prayer, we see adoration, confession. It's primarily a prayer of confession, so there's not a lot of thanksgiving in there, but it's there. And then supplication. And so when he begins his prayer, he begins with this adoration and says, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obeys his commands. And, and it's important that this is what he praises God for. He praises God for being great and awesome and a God who keeps his covenant. A God who has gathered a people for himself, entered into relationship with them, gives them promises and is going to fulfill those promises. He's, these are his people and he's going to walk with them through ups and downs and highs and lows. And Daniel says, Lord, I thank you for that because that's what this promise was about. God said, you're still my people. You're going to be in exile for 70 years, but you're my people. And I've got some promises that I'm going to fulfill that after 70 years, you're going to, I'm going to take you out. And Daniel says, thank you, Lord, for being a God of the covenant, a God who walks with his people. And, and then he starts to confess. He says, we have sinned and we've done wrong. We've been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people in the land. There's a lot more confession, and I don't have time to go through all of that. But one of the things that should stand out to us here is that he says, we. As, as you've read through Daniel, they've portrayed Daniel as being almost blameless, haven't they? Daniel hasn't messed up. Daniel's been faithful. He's, he's been tempted to remain faithful. He's prospered over and over and over again. And yet Daniel still recognizes that he's a sinner. And he associates with the covenant people of God. He says, I'm part of this 
people as much as they are. And so when they're all in sin, I'm part of this group of people too. So God, we have sinned. We've rebelled against you. We've ignored your prophets. And he doesn't, he doesn't just kind of try to poo-poo the sin and try to pretend like it's not a big deal. He doesn't try to say, well, I've been faithful, but these other schmucks have been miserable the whole time, you know. Deliver me. No, he just says, we've messed up. He owns up to it. We've messed up, Lord. We have sinned. We have rebelled against you. And then at the very end, this passage kind of builds and builds and builds. And we get this final supplication at the end where he looks to God and says, God, hear our prayers and petitions. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city, Jerusalem, that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Do you hear that? Your, 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 your. Because this is his covenant people. He's made promises with them. But it's interesting that he says, he doesn't come to God in, in prayer and say, Lord, this has been 70 years of really tough. It's been tough for us. It's been hard for us to be faithful. And so we really deserve a break. So just can you deliver us? Because we need a break. We deserve it. He actually says, Lord, we don't deserve any of this. We're not worthy for you to answer this prayer. We don't deserve for you to deliver us from exile. But we know this, that you are a merciful God. So deliver us for your sake and for your glory. Rebuild this city for your sake and and your glory, Lord. And he says, God, act. You know, he says, oh, Lord, listen. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, hear and act. And God does really quickly. It says, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight. Like even while Daniel was praying, Gabriel shows up and acts. So Daniel's crying out to God saying, do something, please. And God does it right there. And even when Gabriel speaks to him, he says, Daniel, I've now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given. That's how quick God acts. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you because you are highly esteemed. So, what's important now as we get into the more difficult parts of this passage is to understand that everything that comes from here is an answer to Daniel's prayer. Okay, so this is the answer to Daniel's prayer. So Daniel's praying for his people. He sees that the exile is about to be done. And so he's confessing the sins of the people. And he's saying, Lord, get us out of exile and bring us back to, your, to the promised land. And then here's the answer that comes. And, and that's important because when you kind of put it in that frame and you kind of look at the vagueness of the passage, it's actually not that difficult to understand. Where it gets difficult is where you start getting into the nitty-gritty, trying to figure out all the details. And so you can, it's easy to miss the, the forest for the trees. So I want to look at the vague part of it to see how clearly this is an answer to Daniel's prayer. The answer is, 77s are decreed for your people in your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, 
to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy, or I would say the, the most holy one. Is, uh, grammatically, that's more of what it's saying. To anoint the most holy one. Okay, and so we start, we immediately are thrown into all these numbers again, right? Daniel likes numbers. Visions like numbers. And so, again, some people want to try to interpret the 77s as you know, strict years or weeks, or some of your Bible translations will say 70 weeks because they say, oh, seven days in a week, it makes sense, 77s, and yet it says 77s. And uh, I think that's important because that's just emphasizing that these are all symbolic again. And so we know the number seven is this, has this um, figurative sense of completeness. Right? So when God created the whole universe, when he completed his creation of the universe, it was in seven days, right? So that number seven has this idea of completeness. And there's also number 10, right? Seven times 10 is 70. And the number 10 has this idea of fullness is what it was. So when God wanted to give his people the fullness of the law, he gave them how many commandments? 10. When he wanted to pour out the fullness of his judgment upon Egypt, he gave them how many plagues? 10. Right? So there's a number of fullness in 10 and completeness in 7. And they're pretty close, right? Fullness, completeness. When something's full, it's complete. So there's kind of this repetition in here. 77, 7 times 10 times 7. This fully, completely full, completely full, complete period of time. Right? You get the repetition in there. It's talking about this perfect period of time that's going to happen. God has marked out the days and it's going to happen perfectly in his time. And his covenant is going to be completely fulfilled. His covenant promises are going to be completed in this time. And so, and here's what's going to happen. He's going to finish transgression. He's going to put an end to sin. He's going to atone for wickedness. He's going to bring in everlasting righteousness. He's going to seal up vision and prophecy. And he's going to anoint the most holy one or the Messiah. It's going to happen in this period of time. Now, before we start trying to get into some of those details, just take a moment, step back, and think of Daniel's prayer. Daniel was praying, Lord, we're in exile. We have sinned. Please forgive us. And God says, here's your answer. I'm going to put an end to sin. I'm going to atone for wickedness. I'm going to bring in everlasting righteousness. What a powerful answer to his prayer. He's saying, Lord, forgive us, deliver us. And God says, I'm going to do something really powerful where I'm going to get rid of sin completely. I'm going to atone for sin. I'm going to do a work. I'm going to even take righteousness, everlasting righteousness, and start spreading it across throughout the whole earth. Daniel, I'm going to do a big work for my covenant people. What, what hope that gives him. And then he talks about this Messiah in here too, I'm going to anoint the Messiah. I'm going to bring this guy in. And, and we know that this is how God does all of that work. He, he atones for sin through the Messiah. He brings in eternal righteousness through the Messiah. He eventually puts an end to sin through the Messiah. I mean, what hope does that give Daniel? And, and really, what hope that should bring us, doesn't it? That God is doing this work to deal with sin. And so it's a powerful answer to Daniel's prayer. And yet now Gabriel starts to explain this more, which you would think would bring more clarity, but just actually makes things a little fuzzier. And so he breaks this 77 periods of time um, into three periods, an initial period of seven sevens, 
62 periods of seven and one period of seven, okay? And so, um, and then he kind of explains a little bit about what's going to happen in each of these periods. And so this is where people really start to speculate because, well, which period is which? And so we'll just look at them quickly. He says, know and understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and build Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens. Okay, so that first period of time is going to start when the exile is finished and they're sent back to rebuild Jerusalem. And it's going to end when, and the NIV says the anointed one, but I, it, the Hebrew actually says an anointed, it's just kind of a generic anointed ruler comes. So it begins when they're done with exile and, and it ends when this anointed ruler comes. Okay, and which is, there's actually quite a bit of consensus on this. Not, there's no like 100% consensus anywhere in this passage. But most consensus is that this is a, Ezra. So we have the book of Ezra. Ezra is a, a priest. So he's an anointed priest. And he comes back after the, after the temple's been built and after the, the wall, Nehemiah has built the walls around Jerusalem. Ezra is there working to restore the temple and to restore the law. So he's this anointed ruler. And so there's, this is saying that first period begins from when they say, go back, rebuild the temple, rebuild Jerusalem. And then this period of time is going to end when Ezra is there working to get the law and the temple back in order. The first period. The second period is much longer, right? It's 62 sevens. It's another kind of complete period of time. And it says, doesn't say much about it, actually. It says it, Jerusalem, will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. So the trench is like a water system. So it, just the city's going to develop more and more and more. And it's gonna, there's going to be a streets and there's going to be a water system, but things aren't going to be easy, right? We just, last week, we heard about this persecution that was going to happen by Antiochus Epiphanes. And he was going to come in and destroy things and desecrate the temple. And so it's not going to be easy, but that's going to happen. It's going to be a long period of time. And then after that, after the 62 sevens, then it says the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The anointed one, the Messiah, who we know to be Jesus Christ, will be cut off and will have nothing. He will, he will die. He, he will, you know, the Philippians talks about Jesus made himself nothing and took the form of a servant. And, and he'll be cut off because he will be crucified and he will die. We know that now, but he's just saying he'll be cut off and die and be buried in a tomb. Now you go through the rest of the verse, it gets even more complicated because it uses a lot of pronouns. It uses he. So it says, He's going to do this, he's going to do that, he's going to do this, he's going to do that. You don't even always know who the he is. So you don't know. There's two people in these last few verses. There's the anointed Messiah, and there's another guy called the man of desolation. So you've got the Messiah, and you've got the man of desolation, and they're both doing things, and it says he's going to do this, he's going to do that, so we don't always know who's doing what. And so we get to verse 27, it says... He will make a, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he'll put an end to sacrifice and offering. So it's either the Messiah is going to do that or the man of desolation is going to do that. And as I start, as you read through scripture, it repeatedly talks about how Jesus, as the perfect, especially if you read through Hebrews, as the perfect sacrifice and as the perfect offering, 
put an end to all sacrifice and offering. There's no more sacrifices needed because Christ is the perfect sacrifice. There's, there's no more offering needed because Christ is the perfect offering. And actually, ever since Christ's death and, and close to that period, there hasn't been sacrifices and offerings, even in the Jewish people. It was all done because of after Christ's death and resurrection. And so I think this is talking about him. He's going to put an end to all that because he will be the perfect sacrifice and the perfect offering. And it says he's going to confirm a covenant with many for one seven. And if you begin to think about what Jesus said about the covenant, especially on the night he was betrayed when he broke bread and took the cup and said, this is a new covenant in my blood. And it's a firm covenant. And you will do this in remembrance of me until I come again. And so this is talking about this work of Christ, the Messiah, who's putting an end to sacrifice and offering and confirming God's covenant with his people, saying, I am with my people and I have done a work for my people and I will bring them to the end. But it also talks about this other guy, man of desolation. It says the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. And on the wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. We start thinking about what Jesus talked about. This, this passage in particular, I was thinking about as Don was showing his pictures. He showed this picture of Masada, right, where the Jews took their final stand against the Romans in 73, 70 A.D., right around there. Well, Jesus told us that was going to happen. As the disciples walked out of the temple, they were ooing and aahing about it. And Jesus said, within a generation, this happened to the desolation of the temple in 70 A.D. was just the beginning of the end. Uh, it was the beginning of desolations and abominations and desecrations and any other words that sound like that. It was the beginning of all of that. But it was also the beginning of putting an end to sin. It was the beginning of eternal righteousness coming in. It was the beginning of the wars ceasing everywhere. And, it, and so through Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension, he atoned for sin and then began this process of putting an end to sin so that when one day, when God's kingdom comes, when Christ comes again, there will be no sin. It will be gone. He will put an end to sin fully. And, and righteousness through Christ's life will begin to grow and grow and grow until one day, when Christ comes again, eternal righteousness will be fully brought in and wars will cease to, to no end. And so there's this sense again that we get over and over and over again that, that sin is going to come to an end more and more as God's kingdom grows. Eternal righteousness is going to grow more and more as, as, as the world comes, as the, or as the kingdom comes. And yet the kingdom of Satan is going to grow too through this man of desolation. There's going to be wars and, and abominations and desolations and the kingdom of God's going to grow and the kingdom of Satan's going to grow and they're going to come into conflict with one another and yet one day when Christ comes again, he will completely defeat the kingdom of Satan and there will be no sin. There will be eternal righteousness, no wars, and as it says other places in Scripture, no tears. For eternity, And God will, at that point, when Christ comes again, have fully, completely accomplished all of his covenant purposes and all of his covenant promises. What hope and comfort we have from that. Just that knowing that God has set this time out already. 
It's already set in stone. He's put this period of time there and he said it's perfect. And as the New Testament talks about things, it talks about in the fullness of time, God did this. And the, well, in the fullness of time, God will bring about all of this and come to the end of his promises. He's faithful. He never, never negs out or doesn't fulfill one of his promises. When he promised Daniel that he would be faithful and would deliver his people, he was faithful and delivered his people. When he promised Daniel that he would bring forgiveness of sins, he brought forgiveness of sins. When he promised his people that he'd send a Messiah, a Savior, he sent a Messiah, he sent him a Savior. And when he promises eternal righteousness, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die and to bring in righteousness so that righteousness would spread and spread and spread until he comes again and brings in that eternal righteousness forever in his perfect timing. He is always faithful. And we know the end of the story. We know that he wins. And so we continue to look to him and trust him and have faith in him and find comfort and hope as we look toward the future. Let's pray. Father, you are so, so good to us. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your faithfulness even when we are unfaithful people. Lord, do not forget us and walk with us, we pray. Help stir hope and patience and peace and confidence and boldness in our hearts as we look toward the future and as we uh, strive to be faithful followers of you right here where we are. Lord, give us strength, but also give us peace and hope. Comfort our hearts knowing that you are in control. And all God's people said, Amen.